Paratooth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Hey, Paratruthers. This week's episode is brought to you by our patrons over on Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth. With their help, we are continuing to bring amazing new content to our listeners every week. So if you feel the urge to donate, head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Paratruth, where you can just donate only a dollar and get some amazing rewards for your donation. Go check it out. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views. And it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And this marks our third episode for the Halloween season. And we're going to kind of take a step back to some uh, some past episodes a little bit in a way because we've talked about at least one of these subjects uh, in the past. But I think we're going to go over it again and maybe give you a little bit more information than what maybe we had last time. Uh, you know, there's always new information coming out, uh, new research showing new things about all these different topics that we've covered in the past. Uh, so every once in a while, you know, we like to revisit them, right? Oh, absolutely. Especially when, I mean, I think the, the jack-o'-lantern, which we're going to be talking about a little bit later, we did two years ago. Yeah, it's been, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's always fun to revisit a classic. I mean, jack-o'-lantern. Oh, sure. You can't have Halloween without a jack-o'-lantern, <laughs> which, by the way, I need to go f- buy a pumpkin so I can carve a jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> Unless I'm going to get my sister to do it when we're in L.A., then we will go find one then. I don't know. I don't know what the rules are in L.A. with jack-o'-lanterns at an apartment complex. Oh, it, is there it's a, a weird place. apartment complex, like an indoor or outdoor? Uh, it's an outdoor, but it's like... They, like you don't have a street view. It's all, um, it's inner city kind oh, of almost okay. not really inner city. It's North Hollywood. So it's not inner city, but, uh, all we have is the courtyard. And I don't know if you can put burning objects in the courtyard. <laughs> you know, like you can like on a balcony or something like that. You could do that, but they don't have balconies. So at, the, at their apartment complex, well, worst case scenario, I mean, you could pr- probably put a flameless, candle or a couple flameless candles to <laughs> kind of yeah up a little bit but it's not the same well, no it's not <laughs> especially <laughs> with what we're about to talk about with the traditions and whatnot so right so we do and with that said let's go ahead and jump into this a bit um because we did decide to discuss a new tradition one that we haven't discussed before uh and that's bonfires uh, i heard a long time ago and by a long time i mean like a few years a little more that um, bonfires were once used for Halloween and that it was a bad thing. 
nowadays, but also it could be a good thing. You know how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the longest time, you know, as soon as I heard about that, I was like, oh, God, I have a bonfire every, ha- every Halloween. But we never discuss it on air. So <laughs> I think it's a cool thing to go ahead and talk about because it's actually really interesting, uh, especially the meaning of bonfire, which we'll get into in a moment here, which I never knew until literally a few days ago when I texted you and was like, whoa, that's what bonfire means. And I'm never going to look at a bonfire the same way again <laughs> now that I know why, they're, when they were, why they were created originally. It's a little disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Just a little bit. So <clears throat> let's talk about bonfires. Uh, the, the practice of lighting large fires in general dates back to the roots of Halloween and the Festival of Samhain, which we all know and love, uh, which, of course, celebrates the summer's end and the beginning of the dark season. Now, Samhain also marked the end of the old year uh, and the beginning of the new, which, again, is a little different from modern tradition because we use New Year's to celebrate the end of the old and the beginning of the new. So little difference. Uh, But on the eve of Samhain, young people would go from house to house asking for food offerings and kindling for the Samhain fires. Then the following day, which is the typical day of Samhain, November 1st, uh, people would extinguish their hearth fires and gather together to light large fires on sacred hilltops in honor, in honor of and to make offerings to the gods. Uh, which gods those were depended on the people uh, who, who were lighting them. Now, crops and bones of animals, which had been called, were burnt in the fires as offerings. And in fact, our modern word for bonfire comes from the word bone and fire, meaning fire of bones, which blew me away because it's really cool. Uh, and of course, this refers to the practice of burning the bones for the gods. Now, there were personal and symbolic items also burned as offerings in hopes for relief from sickness or bad fortune. Celtic people who celebrated Samhain believed that the time between the beginning and the end of the New Year's, or the beginning and the end of the years, was when spirits could travel freely between this world and the spirit world, which we've talked about numerous times during Halloween on on this show. Right. And I think it's one of the most common beliefs still for Halloween, uh, other than, you know, your kids who just don't care. Just candy. Candy, you know? Makes sense. I'm there, too. Uh, um, but the thing is that some people believe that they were good spirits and others would believe that they were bad spirits. Now, the good spirits were often helpful in a way. They would help people divine the future, which you know what we've talked about on this show. Divination's <laughs> a bad thing, folks. <laughs> but the evil spirits would often bring misfortune on whoever they encountered. So the sacred fires, the bonfires, were believed to have the power to scare away these evil spirits, and people stayed close by them, often wearing costumes of animal heads and skins as disguises to frighten those spirits and ensure their safety. Now, as the great fire died... It was considered good luck to take an ember and carry it home to relight their hearth fires. They would often carry these embers in a uh, home in holders made from turnips or gourds in which they carved faces in the hopes that those faces would also scare away any evil spirits that might be lurking on the path on their way home. Of course, over the years, stories were created to teach the young uh, this practice and provide moral lessons. 
Now, on the following day, which is uh, November 2nd, the ashes from these sacred fires would be spread over the fields as protection against the evil spirits who would cause next season's crops to fail. Um, it's really interesting. Like This is a, like just it's short. I didn't say a lot here, but there's enough here to be like to, to question some things. Definitely. If anything. Like because it, to actually well, let's have a talk, bonfire ever again. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. But but let's talk about evil spirits for a moment because evil spirits and fire and bonfires. Here we're we're learning that people used to believe, and maybe some still do, that if you were to create a bonfire, it would scare away evil spirits. Think about that for a moment, because <laughs> 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 it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, well. I mean, unless, I mean, and this could be where Christianity started to um, incorporate some of the pagan stuff into their beliefs as well, is the, I mean, the the lake of fire, the hell is a burning place, not a foo-foo happy place. So if you think about it, a, a fire would represent, like, we, we believe that, uh, you know, evil spirits most of the time more times than not have a link to demonic activity. So if a fire reminds them of the burning pit, I mean, to me, that makes a little bit of sense when you think about it that way. I mean, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, But I guess it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me in the fact that, like, it would scare away evil spirits, but it wouldn't scare away good spirits. And often, like, now, mind you, we're talking about not necessarily demonic entities. We're talking about possible human spirits that are evil. Because as it was mentioned uh, earlier, Halloween or, or the day between uh, well, All Hallows' Eve and Samhain is when the veil is supposedly thinnest between worlds and when spirits can come back. And oftentimes these spirits are uh, related spirits. And that's something we've talked about in the past, something you're probably going to bring up in a little bit uh, when I hand it over to you, Justin. But it's um, there's a common belief that during these two days, uh, you can set out things, food offerings and stuff, for your family members to come visit, you know, uh, the deceased family members, their spirits to come visit you. And even though you couldn't see them, they would be there in the house with you for these two days uh, before November 2nd, when again, the veil would close and they'd be off again for an entire year until the following time. Uh, and so just thinking like that some of these spirits, if they were indeed human, whether good or bad, um, you would think that even the good would be afraid of this fire too. But also on top of that, you got to figure, and mind you, I've never been in the spirit world, so I wouldn't know, but that, you know, it'd have to, it would have to look different because any spirit, whether human or non, sees a bonfire. They know it's a bonfire. They see it's a person wearing a costume. They see that they're turnips or pumpkins or whatever it is that are sitting on porches. Like what? It just doesn't make sense logically that these spirits that were either I, A, once human or B, some non-human entity that's been around for thousands of years would be afraid of such things. And I think a lot of this just ends up coming back to superstition in the, in the long run or the short run. I mean, overall that's all it leads down to, but it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it is really interesting that it's only the evil spirits because you would think 
and maybe if it's if it's evil human spirits that they're talking about that they see the fire yeah they they know what it is but they they're dead so they start to think maybe that they're going to be tortured for all eternity mm-hmm. because maybe even back then the the fire represent represented torture in the afterlife so i i mean i i see your point of view as well why why would any spirit be afraid of fire because fire has been around for so long right so something that was interesting that i'd come across is actually i mean bonfires are actually linked to a couple of other um celebrations in great britain bonfires are associated with guy fox night the night is also known as fireworks night or bonfire night uh on this night people celebrate that the gunpowder plot was discovered in uh on november 5th 1605 and they still celebrate it each and every year in northern ireland bonfires will uh Bonfires are associated with celebrations on the anniversary of the Battle of the Boyne. This battle took place on July 12th, 1690. Now, when you when you hear Celtic, it kind of goes back to the Great Britain, Ireland, Scotland area. Mm-hmm. That's where Celtic really originated. And um, so, I mean, even though were away from those times where they were using it for spiritual things in nature. I mean, a lot of these countries are still using them as things to sell or ways to celebrate other uh, holidays. So it's kind of interesting. Another thing that is really interesting is even in Japan, they have large fires called Bonbai. And they're set to welcome the return of the spirits of the ancestors, though the two terms are not etymologically or historically related, the bonfire, the bonbai. They do kind of have this universal language, so to speak, when it comes to the large fires. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. like... Japan, it doesn't say anything about they burned bones or anything like that. But it's it's kind of interesting that it spans more than just the uh, the Celtic Isles, if you will. And now, one thing that I was like super fascinated about was uh, the use of bonfires for rituals. Now, this is not just the ritual that we're talking about for Samhain. Uh, bonfires were also uh, used during weddings. The couples would jump through the bonfire after being wed, and then the um, the coals would be brought back to the um, family hearse that had attended the the wedding and light the fires, and it was supposed to bring good fortune. People also believed that the residents of the fairy realm were in capable of producing fire themselves. So embers of the bonfires would be carried to the underworld and tended there. Again, we've got that underworld with fire kind of connotation there. And the last thing that I came across was 
the neo-pagan and Wiccan beliefs. Uh, along with the Maypole, the bonfire is an important component of the Wiccan and neo-pagan celebration of Beltane, also known as May Day. Nine woods are placed in a traditional Wiccan bale fire. These woods are Rowan, dogwood, elder, poplar, oak, juniper, holly, cedar, and apple. Occasionally, pine is also used instead of holly or elder as a handful of the other woods. In some regions, superstition, religious belief, or tradition prohibits the cutting of certain trees. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. So it's interesting that it kind of spans multiple things, not just Sam Hain. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what what's your kind of take on the information that I had come across? Um Well, I mean, I, I think it's I think it's it's always interesting to me that we we see <clears throat> I guess similar I don't want to say mythologies, but I guess it could be mythologies or histories or, or anything like that. Uh, throughout different parts of the world uh, and, and how each one kind of interconnects to each other. And that actually goes along with the like, jack-o'-lantern, for example, uh, which we'll get into shortly because that one, again, also originate, originated uh, in Europe and eventually made its way over the seas, you know, to America where pumpkins are only available. I think a lot of people don't realize that, but pumpkins only exist in America. They don't exist in Europe. They don't grow over there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy to me. It's like, oh, um, oh, it's interesting, man. I mean, they're, 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 it's, it's a little weird because those are like oh, the last thing you were saying, especially, uh, I don't, what do you say? Apple and, uh, what else was it that they, that they was combined? There was Rowan, which I've never heard of dogwood, elder, poplar, oak, juniper, holly, cedar, and apple. So, I mean, it's interesting to hear the apple, but I mean, it's yeah. like a menagerie of different woods. Yeah. And especially since like a couple of those things like holly, pine, these are things that you would often find around the winter seasons, you know? Right. Um, I mean, those remind me of like 
I mean, here in America, it reminds me of Christmas, yeah, <laughs> like right, burning yeah. something like that. You know, those scents, uh, the the essence, I guess, of, of or the aroma. I guess that's the word. I'm looking for the aroma of those things. Well, and it almost makes you wonder, like, because usually pine and cedar kind of are a stronger smell. So was it a mixture mm-hmm. of all of these different woods that would create a certain scent for the rituals that were going on? Or like, were they trying to reach a certain scent that they believe reaches out to the spirit world more than the other? Well, I mean, if that's the case, I mean, it's kind of like uh, the smudging stick because a smudging stick right. or a white sage has a very strong scent as well. And it's a good scent. And these scents are also good. Obviously, these these aromas that you'd mentioned are also very good to most people um, or pleasing. So it's interesting to me that some of the aromas that are used or that we use in rituals uh, are used to attract spirits. Well, other aromas, such as the white sage, for example, which to us smells pretty good, but for some reason is displeasing to spirits, which is another thing that just doesn't make sense. <laughs> because if the spirits are human and they like the aroma of some of these things, why would they not like them in the afterlife? Right. Well, I mean, we've talked about that on, on one of the episodes of how a lot of paranormal investigators now will use white sage, even salt to mm-hmm. cleanse a house. But it's like, okay. I, I mean, a lot of people say it works and a lot of times the, the paranormal activity does die down or maybe they're, the spirits are just trying to trick you to make you think that they're, it's dying down. But mm-hmm. why would something that's material affect the immaterial? Right. Exactly. And, for that matter, like even with those in those cases, because um, a lot of times or, or very often anyway, that many of these people like who claim to have hauntings and those who come to 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 um, displace the hauntings don't necessarily see any haunting there. They don't necessarily see the spirits. Uh, they, they do these rituals to get rid of to get rid of the haunting based solely on the witness, uh, whether it's the eyewitness or whatever, uh, as kind of a way to please the owner of the home and help things settle down. Because I mean, how many of these hauntings you and I've talked about, it, I mean, hauntings are pretty rare. Uh, I mean, full fledged hauntings are pretty rare. Mm. Uh, and so I think many times these parishes or the, uh, the, the, um, individuals, freelance individuals who come in to cast out spirits, they're not really there to actually cast out a spirit in the physical sense of what a spirit is, but there are often spirits that exist within the mind. Sometimes actually it's really funny cause I was watching, uh, have you watched, started watching, um, uh, the haunting on of Hill house on Netflix? No, I heard you had talked about it last week and I haven't had a chance to okay. start watching it. So, it, it just came out, I don't know if it came out yesterday or a couple of days ago, but I started watching it yesterday and I watched the first two episodes and one of the characters in there mentioned this and it's actually really interesting to me uh, and it kind of makes sense. And it's the idea that spirits aren't always what we think they are. They're not always, uh, like a spirit isn't always this disembodied 
kind of physical being that comes to you through the afterlife. A spirit could be a memory. It could be an idea. It could be a scent. You know, a spirit could be so many different things uh, that seem like it's something of the afterlife, but is really just your own mind maybe playing tricks on you or at least allowing you to believe something that isn't really there. Uh, and I'm not saying, obviously I'm not saying that spirits don't exist because that would contradict everything I've ever talked about on Paratruth Radio. <laughs> but I'm saying that I think in these cases, uh, people, you come in and use a smudging stick, for example, not only to get rid of a real spirit, but to help the person who's seeing the spirit supposedly think that the spirit's leaving, even if there's no spirit really there. It's a way to ease the mind uh, and maybe help somebody relax a bit. You know, it's almost like a stress relief in a way. Right. Well, and I mean, we've even talked about the residual hauntings on on our Ghost Hunting uh, 101 series. And mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that is a, a more rational way to explain a residual haunting. Maybe it's not even like a time loop, like we had explained it, where it's a, like a time loop stamped on time and space, but more so it's like your brain trying to rationalize something that you smell or, or see or hear. And it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily spiritual and like what we think of spiritual in nature. Right. So it's, it's actually a really interesting spin on, um, on the paranormal topics. So, it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. So is that a pretty interesting show then? You think you're going to be getting into it? Yeah. Uh, the first two episodes are a little slow, but there's a like, creepy things happening. Uh, but it's building a lot of story because it's it's one of those shows where a certain part, it's, it's, it's kind of like half and half. Half the, sh- half the episodes of the show is taking place in the present time and the other half is taking place in the past. And then those past events are showing you why the present is happening basically in the way that it's happening. Okay. Um, but it's interesting. It's, it's, uh, we'll see, (laughs) (laughs) but I, I mean, I think it's enough to keep me look. So I know you were a fan. If I'm not mistaken, you were a fan of, um, uh, Hemlock Grove. Yeah. I started watching. Okay. Well, I mean, from a film perspective, the very first episode, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is crazy in the sense that what student fresh out of college did they hire to film this thing? Cause it looked horrendous. It looked like it just, the cinematography was bad. The writing was horrible. When I saw who directed it and who created it, I couldn't believe it. It was like, you gotta be kidding me. Um, because it's not work that he should have put out. Um, and honestly, it's one of those, like I was, I was hoping to get into it and I'm probably about seven episodes, eight episodes in. And then I stopped watching it because I had to work. Right. Mm. So I spent two days on set and now that I'm free and can watch more of it, I really don't care to start it up again. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> I, I'm not really pulled into that show. It's, I don't know what it is. Um, I don't think that acting is all that great either, which is surprising because, uh, uh, Bill Skarsgård must right. have been one of his right. first roles. He's just not, I just don't think the role's right for him. 
because he's obviously played other roles, Castle Rock, it, there's a third one, but like he plays those roles pretty well. And then I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know, what's common about the, his three most current roles. And then his role in, um, Helmut Grove is that he doesn't talk much in these other three roles and they're wonderful. He does great job. It's wonderful, but he's talking a lot in Helmut Grove. And I'm like, Oh, and it's not him. It really isn't him or the actors. It's the writing. That's a big problem. Uh, just cause it doesn't seem real. Right. Some of the writing, but I don't know. No, we all have things that we like and dislike. It's just not one that interests me. I see why you like it. I, I mean, I get it. I understand it. I do agree in the sense that... Uh, I and I see the appeal to it way better because, I mean, the acting was... I And, I mean, it had some really high-end actors, like people I've seen in other stuff. But mm-hmm. this was a... I mean, this was one of the first of the Netflix originals, I believe. Right. And... Yeah. Um, I honestly feel that it it was a good show, but it could have been done so much better. And I mean, if you do watch it, yeah, he does talk a lot, but I think yeah. it kind of set him up for the creepy role thing because he has the creepy role. Yeah. It, it just, like he pulls off creepy really well. Right. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> even in this, even in his role in Hemlock Grove, he pulls it off really well. I mean, the way he keeps cutting himself and drinking his own blood and stuff. I mean, it's creepy. Oh, it gets worse. Uh, <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I would like to continue watching it because part of me is like interested in the overall story and arc. I just don't know if I like the writing or the characters. Right. Yeah. Well, At least the actors that the characters are portraying, because some of those actors are just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, that, this is the thing, though. Like, I mean, I get it because every actor that starts off new or relatively new is going to be the same. There are none of them are ever really that good. Jenton and Jared were never that good when they started Supernatural. I wasn't a huge fan of them. Uh, and but they pick it up as time goes on. Um and almost so, 15 seasons in now. <laughs> I mean, we're going to be starting season 15. Yeah. 14. <laughs> we're starting season 14. Oh, 14. <laughs> All right. Well, enough rabbit trail. Let's get into Jack O'Lanterns. Jack O'Lantern. <laughs> so, I mean, it, you had mentioned that uh, it, it does have kind of a link to bonfires because. Mm-hmm. They would scoop up the embers of a bonfire into a a gourd or a turnip or something like that. Um, it was usually turnips, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And that's kind of how the jack-o'-lantern started, was it was originally turnips. Um, I can't remember, and I'm not sure if I'm coming across came across any of the information as to why turnips just because that's it was ireland and that's what grew there right yeah okay mm-hmm. so the legend of the jack-o'-lantern is kind of linked to it, i mean it, it really comes from this legend of stingy jack and yeah, well actually i'm sorry to interrupt you no, no, but no. i'd actually let me start with something else first and then i'll let you get into that yep because this is, I, I came across this too, um, because Jack Lantern didn't always refer to Stingy Jack originally, um, but it also didn't ref- 
obviously didn't refer to what we consider jack-o'-lanterns, you know, the pumpkins with fires in them. Uh, so the term jack-o'-lantern was first applied to people and not pumpkins. Uh, as far back as 1663, the term meant a man with a lantern or a night watchman. Uh, and then just a decade or so later, it began to be used to refer to the mysterious lights that are sometimes seen like at nights, like at night over uh, uh, like bogs and swamps and things like that, marshes. Like, you ever hear the mysterious ghost lights, you know, that happen in marshes? Type things. Exactly, exactly. And they had those various names that were originally called jack-o'-lanterns, hinky punks, hobby lanterns, corpse candles, fairy lights, and then the will-o'-the-wisps and the fool's fire. Uh, But they were all created when gases from decomposing plant matter ignited uh, as they came into contact with electricity, heat, or as they oxidized. And for centuries before this scientific explanation was known, uh, people told stories to explain the mysterious lights. Uh, one, for example, in Ireland, dating as far back as the 1500s, which is even before then, before the 1663, uh, with stories that, of course, revolved around your guy, Jack. So now I'll hand it over to you <laughs> to talk about Stingy Jack. Well, it's, it's actually really interesting because it still had that spiritual connotation until we were actually able to rationalize what these lights were. Um, Mm -hmm. According to the story, Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. True to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink, so he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin so that Jack could use it to buy their drinks. Once the devil did so, Jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross which prevented the devil from changing back into his original form. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year and that should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. The next year, Jack again tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick up a piece of fruit. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree's bark so that the devil could not come down until the devil promised Jack not to bother him for ten more years. Soon after Jack died, as the legend goes, God would not allow such an unsavory figure into the heaven. Into heaven, the devil, upset by the trick Jack had played on him and keeping his word not to claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell. He sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth with with it ever since. The Irish began to refer to this ghostly figure as Jack of the Lantern, and then simply Jack O'Lantern. In Ireland and Scotland, people began to make their own versions of Jack's lanterns by carving scary faces into turnips or potatoes and place them into the windows or near doors to frighten away Stingy Jack or other wandering evil spirits. In England, large beats are used. Immigrants from these countries brought the jack-o'-lantern tradition with them when they came to the U.S. They soon found that pumpkins, a fruit native to America, made perfect jack-o'-lanterns. So the first thing that I don't know that we really talked about is why is it so easy to trick the devil? (laughs) That's a good question because I was going to ask you the same thing. But it's funny because this is really the only story in which the devil's ever truly tricked. Uh, I feel like this is like just human way of trying to make themselves seem not scared of the devil. I don't know. I have nothing. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. 
It was. It's just interesting because he didn't do it just once, but twice, <laughs> and with the cross. Right. <laughs> right. Which doesn't make sense since he's supposed like the devil's supposed to be the trickster, the deceiver. No. Right. How is someone? You know. Yeah. Obviously, this is a story. Obviously, <laughs> there's. Yes, we know. <laughs> well, it's. I mean, it's really interesting that they ad- adapted it to the pumpkin because that's what was natively growing here. But mm-hmm. I mean, we can still grow potatoes and turnips here. So was it just because the, the pumpkin was a bright orange and it was like very uh, alluring? I mean, I, I didn't come across anything for that. Did you? Why did they decide? No, I didn't come across anything like that, but I would imagine that it was easier to carve them because of their larger size. Oh, yeah. uh, and they could probably put bigger fires in there as well. Yeah. They probably lit better. Turnips. I mean, um, they do get kind of large, but not as yeah. big as the jackal. Well, and then on top of that, like, I mean, pumpkins tend to withstand the elements a little better here in America, you know, especially in Northern America. You, you have a jack lantern outside in the cold, it's going to be just fine and dandy. It's when it starts getting hot that they start, or warm when they start to wither. Uh, plus, they have a harder shell. So, yeah, they can withstand more. Not that that's the reason they chose pumpkins, but. That, I mean, that's if good, I was choosing a pumpkin, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the the size alone, I think you're right. I mean, it would be easier to carve out a face in a large pumpkin than it would be a tiny. Like, I mean, look at the tiny pumpkins that a lot of pumpkin patches sell. Most people don't carve anything into them. They just draw on them. So, right. So growing up doing the jack-o'-lanterns because we did them pretty much every year um was did you like doing more of the the classic faces that that are kind of associated with the jack-o'-lantern or did you try to do your own thing no i always did i have always done a scary face something kind of scary like sharp teeth uh usually either like uh narrow eyes or triangle eyes typically um and that's about it. Sometimes there's a little no, sometimes there's not. Um, yeah, I don't know why, but my jack-o'-lanterns have always been the same since I was a kid, pretty much. <laughs> Plus, I'm not good at carving. I I can't handle a knife and a pumpkin. It just doesn't cut right, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's probably a good thing because if you got used to a pumpkin, then eventually you would want to get to something more challenging. Wow. This is, this is getting dark very fast. <laughs> Justin. Ah, just in a mood. <laughs> 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 well, you know, it's interesting because I mean, it's become so much more, uh, artistic now for pumpkin carving. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. It's, it's not just a face. I, I mean, I've seen people do, um, like the silhouette of a witch flying and it, it's not so much carved, but kind of, uh, whittled away. So there's just like a thin skin right. and stuff. And it's right. like, it's like so interesting to me because it, it's so much way more innate than it used to be. Even when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I <clears throat> personally, I've always liked the classic versions. It just reminds me old school, you know, the way a pumpkin should be carved. But nowadays, it, the, the whole idea of the jack-o'-lantern was to scare away evil spirits um, when it was created. And 
that's just not something that's on anyone's mind these days. Right. You know, so it is, it is an art. I mean, one of my favorite shows to watch on, in October is Halloween Wars, where they use, they get basically one or several giant pumpkins and they have to carve them and create like these dioramas of monsters, creatures, uh, and using like pumpkins and candy and various foods and things like chocolates and desserts and stuff. Uh, and it's amazing what they can do with a 300 pound pumpkin in a matter of eight hours. It's pretty cool, but <laughs> I've never heard of Halloween wars. So what <laughs> bro, you're missing out, dude. I'll have to take a look. <laughs> I haven't started watching it yet this month, but you better believe I'm going to very soon. Is it something that just comes out for how like October? Yes. Only October. Yeah. It starts uh, the first week or second week of October. And I think there is just, I don't remember exactly how many episodes there are because I think it plays like two episodes per week, like in a row, I think. So you two, four, six or eight episodes, something like that. Six or eight. Um, Could be wrong about that. Interesting stuff. All right. Anything further on jack-o'-lanterns or bonfires? Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, you now have a new podcast out, which I'm loving yes. so far. So I want to give you a chance to uh, promote that again before we wrap it up for another episode. Appreciate that. Uh, so for all of you who are interested, the new podcast is All the Hats, a podcast about filmmaking and industry. Uh, you can catch it. It will new episodes basically come out every Wednesday at 12 a.m. So check it out. Feel free to email me at allthehatspod at gmail.com. Be happy to talk with you if you have any questions. But if you're interested in filmmaking, if you're whether you want to be a filmmaker or are a filmmaker or just interested in the industry and the idea of it, because I know a few people who tune in who don't really care so much about filmmaking themselves, but they like the thought of it and what goes into it, uh, then feel free to check it out because we talk about a lot of stuff. Uh, that's why it's called All the Hats. It's basically all the different jobs within filmmaking that are available uh, and beyond. So Wednesdays. And it kind of links to a lot of like all the hats for independent filmmakers too, right? Because yeah, I mean, it's yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, we, uh, so we cover everything, whether it's independent, non-union, union, uh, you name it. Like we're, we're covering all kinds of different things. Uh, we talk, have topics on like, um, uh, or not yet, but we will have topics uh, of things happening within the business currently, uh, news-wise and things like that. Uh, we've got three interviews, one of which has already been uh, released, uh, and that was an interview that we did with um, um, Professor Walls of Liberty University. He's a sound guy, a sound artist, a mixer. Uh, he does all kinds of stuff with sound. He loves sound. So we have that out. You get to learn about what it takes to be a sound guy uh, using a boom, using a mixer, and of course, editing sound. We also have one with another professor about becoming a photographer or a DP. And we actually just finished it, two interviews. One interview was with a friend of ours who's an AC, which is a camera assistant. 
He tells us all about that job. And then a fourth interview with a student who's hope he i mean i i consider anyone who makes a film to be a filmmaker uh it just depends on what level of filmmaker you are so this is a student filmmaker who got his first taste of creating a short film and he kind of just tells us his experience in it what he learned what he's did right what he did wrong things like that and so it's a it's a good thing it's a good learning experience for anyone listening uh and then of course uh my co-host and i just have a few episodes where just him and i talking about scripts writing a script, uh, things about the industry, jobs we've worked on, things like that. So lots of stuff. Yeah. Well, I hope everybody checks it out because, I mean, I've always been fascinated with how a movie's made. You know, Eric and I talk about it a lot just because he's in the industry, but it's interesting to hear both him and James do a podcast about it because it's not just Eric saying stuff about it. It's Eric and James. James is a sound guy. Eric... Mm -hmm kind of has more of a kind of like a director writer type uh, in the field, though you kind of do everything. <laughs> as yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause like pretty much exactly. That's what I often like will talk. I'll sometimes often say like independently, I'll say I'm an independent filmmaker because filmmaker is a very broad term, which means I write, I direct, I produce, I edit. I don't do sound. Never. I hate sound. <laughs> well, good. Then the <laughs> but thing that's that why James, James is here. Brings, yeah, to the table. Exactly. <laughs> but everything else, uh, I'll do, or at least I'll try. Um, and then, yeah, everything. And then outside of just independent stuff that I do, uh, it's pretty much production assistant, camera assistant and assistant director for now. Eventually leading up to directing big stuff. <laughs> you watch. <laughs> You'll see. You are on the way, man. And doing a podcast will even get you even further because you're going to be talking to names in the industry that are working right now in, in the big ones. So, all right, folks, that's all we got for you this week. Make sure you're checking out all of the areas that you can find us. We're on iHeartRadio, iTunes, just Google Paratruth Radio. You'll find us. Um, you can find us on YouTube under under the Conflict Radio uh, specifically now we do have a lot pretty much all our older episodes on the Paratruth page but we decided to start uh, uploading specifically to Conflict Radio for YouTube and we are also a part of TMV Cafe and Fringe Radio Network as well so check those places out and uh, that's about it until next week where you'll find us same time same channel. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. Peace. Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.